Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations from episode 57, our wrap-up of AASLD 21. This conversation starts with Stephen Harrison discussing the emerging importance of microbiome. Jorn Schottenberg and I join in different ways to note the complexity of the disease, and Jorn points out how robust a first drug will have to be to achieve approval given disease complexity. Finally, I ask the group what will be the most important story of next year's ASLD, TLM 2022. Half the group points towards phase three trial results of resmeterum or obetacolic acid as the key moment, and the other half points towards the value of patients and patient advocates in this meeting to broaden and deepen all stakeholders' appreciation of what an integrated patient-focused solution must look like. One clear theme of AASLD 2021 was that the emergence of vast quantities of data supporting NITs as better drug performance metrics can advance the field dramatically. Another was the increasing role of patients and patient advocacy in shaping discussions. This conversation covers both. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion group. Stephen Harrison, there's a growing body of literature to suggest that there are just way too many variables impacting an individual patient with NASH to really think that one size fits all. Scott Friedman had a great discussion with Brent Tetri yesterday on Meet the Professor Hour on Fibrosis, where Scott mentioned the studies underway now at the NIH, where the scientists are actually going out around Maryland and picking up these animals and studying them in the lab, and they have native microbiome. You know, they're not raised in a mouse house and fed the same thing and have generally the same microbiome. These are wild type that have widely disparate microbiomes. And Brent Tetri made the comment, it's interesting because they're probably running around eating the fast food that's been left behind. That's actually probably a better population to study. And Scott's comment was, yes, I remember a picture of a rat walking away with a piece of pizza in New York City. And that's just kind of how the conversation went. But the point was, there's so many variables impacting this disease that to think that we could use one size to fit all is probably, well, we've known that's that's really not the way to go. The issue is we have to get something across the finish line first, and then we can begin to, to whittle away at these subpopulations. But to your point, that is exactly the way we need to be approaching this once we score the first touchdown, you know. Jörn Schattenberg. And the point is the drug is going to be actually quite robust if it elevates above all these thresholds and all these problems. The discussion with Brent and Scott and I followed it, it really came back to also preclinical data and which drug should actually go into the clinical trial. Uh, Scott made a good comment that you need to show an effect in animal models, but it will not tell you whether your drug works in humans. And that comes back to what you said, Stephen. It's just a complex disease. You know, you're in the OLR, not to trivialize, but I made the comment about Nick and cancer 50 years ago. If we applied to cancer the standards that we're applying here, nothing would ever have gotten approved. In fact, if we applied those standards to breast cancer or colorectal, it would have been tough to get anything approved because the complexity of the disease is just far beyond what those kinds of blunt instruments are capable of assessing. The good point is we don't have the time to progression measure here, or could say this is a disease kept in remission. Manalis said that. Why don't we keep it stable? So what do we measure? It's a semi-quantitative fibrosis stage. No, we need that MRE, that 
needs to be stable, that has a more dynamic range where it can see minor effects. And it all comes back down to uh, being strung to a semi-quantitative measure of a small piece of the liver. Yeah, and just fast forward that thought, Jorn. Imagine the day where MRE replaces a liver biopsy as a surrogate, and now drugs are approved on a change in MRE. We only have 300 MREs around the world, many of those in academic centers, hardly any in clinical practices. So now we're going to need to have some tool to identify those patients' responsiveness to therapy. (laughs) It kind of one thing begets another as we develop this. But I do think that's another thing we've got to keep in mind is the availability of these tests for their applicability in real-world settings once drugs are approved. The good news is if you go two generations forward, not that we're going to do that, but if MRE winds up being the index and it's too expensive to do as widely as you'd like, someone will solve that eventually. That doesn't feel like an insolvable problem. It just doesn't feel like until now it's been a commercially important problem. No, no, I, I agree. It just got me thinking about, okay, well, if we get to that point, that'll be a good problem to have, I guess, if we, at least for those of us over the age of 50. I was going to say, or you're running around on the entrepreneurial side of your table and going, okay, now how do I help get this done? But that's a different question. All right, we're at the bottom of the hour, which is usually when we start to wrap up. I'd like to ask before we do a formal final question, is there anything about this meeting that struck any of you that we haven't hit on in the last 75 minutes that you want to make sure we talk about before we all go home today? Manal Abdel Malik. Precision medicine was hot and heavy at this meeting, which is exciting. But Manal, the common theme of this entire last 75 minutes has been data. Everything we're talking about actually is about an improvement to gather and process data and make sense out of it. If you didn't have the data collection tools that we have and the data modeling capabilities that have been rendered so inexpensive, none of this would happen. But if you think about it, the way we're talking about non-invasive testing, genomics, precision medicine, all that winds up being about improving data capabilities. It just struck me when you said that. Hardly a novel idea, but, and yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Now, going back going back to the Scott Freeman Brent Tetry talk, I totally agree with you. So we're going to be bold. We're going to crystal ball. What's going to be the biggest story coming out of uh, the 2022 liver meeting? That's my closing question. I think it'll be the phase three results. Yeah, I think it'll be the phase three results from Madrigal, from Intercept Regenerate, from Resolve It. It'll be certainly more data mining on large data sets for which we have genomics and omics data, proteomics, metabolomics, and optimizing the existing surrogates to perform even better with exquisite precision and reliability. I'm also going to make a prediction. I think that somebody, whether it's Scott Friedman, one of his mentees, or Neil Hinder or his group, somebody will use single cell transcriptomics to tell us exactly which hepatocytes and which stellate cells are likely to respond to therapeutic intervention and which ones won't. Because it struck me at a prior meeting, and we talked about it on this podcast, that you can have a drug that shuts down a stellate cell, but if the stellate cell doesn't want to shut down through epigenomics or some other factor, it may not. And those types of analyses will gain traction in 2022. And I bet you there'll be some pretty exciting abstracts presented relative to hepatocytes, probably Cupra cells and stellate cells at the meeting next year. That was kind of my question. I think we're within a year of that. Look, Lars was the first person who brought to this podcast the idea that the problem is we keep looking for what shouldn't be in the liver instead of what should be. Scott talked about the same thing the following week. So yeah, if we can get there in a year, I think that might even wind up being more compelling than the drugs, unless Madrigal hits it far enough out of the park that everybody knows it's going to get approved. It's compared to that kind of hold your breath and hope thing that people have. Yeah, and to Manal's point, don't forget about uh, a beta-colic acid. You yeah. 
Roger, what I think is going to prevail here is really the momentum we have between uh, clinical scientists, basic scientists, patient representatives, advocacy, the regulators being at, the, at our meetings. They want to know what we think, what, what we're working on. So everybody is at the table and ready to get this to a finish for the best of our patients. Ian Rowe. I'm going to go for the phase three results because for all of the reasons that we've talked about today, that's probably what's going to make the biggest difference in the short term because with a drug that meets an approvable endpoint, really meets it with a good safety profile, then that's really going to provide a massive impetus to all of the other things that we've talked about. And although the science, particularly that Neil Henderson talked about, you know, is exciting, the pace of the development in that will probably not get us there next year, but we'll see the treatment come sooner than that. Louise Campbell. Having seen the amount of patient and advocate input, this ARZLD, which has been way, way, way above what's been there previously or an easel, it's the fact that that's going to grow. I would strongly suspect that 2022 will probably be a hybrid meeting because this format does allow it to reach a greater audience, which is a positive, but it will be nice to be back in person. The patient advocacy, the connection with the real world. There was a lot of sessions on how we can make clinics better, advanced nurse practitioners, the way it's going and its application into the real world. There is such a greater depth of connection in the meeting this time than there was last time or that any I've been to in person on that, which was really encouraging. Both Easel and Arsels are pushing that forward with the likes of Donna really dragging them forward, but we'll see more of that. Patients drive change. They're very hot on the FDA at the moment where if we can remove biopsy and patients are key to that, that's for me a good progress into 2022. I hope we don't lose the virtual platform ever because we are reaching far more people. And there's one thing we can do on the virtual platform, which we can't do in person, is press replay. So I could attend more parallel sessions than I ever could in person and really get more out of the liver meeting because I can go back and listen to a session that I couldn't otherwise have attended because I was in a different session and take a lot more in from the liver meeting because of the virtual nature of it than I would have been able to even in person. Okay. So for those who didn't see it, I was applauding silently when I said that I've set aside on my calendar an hour a day every day for the next month to take the postgraduate course and think about it. And that's before you get to everything else, right? So I, I, I don't think that's a risk, though. I, I can't imagine that we would go away from the virtual platform. I lack imagination. People do things that are worse than I can imagine all the time. But that's such a benefit to so many that I just can't see it. I think we'll do both. I think we'll take the advantages of virtual and blend them with the advantages of being in person. And just fast forwarding to April in London, I can't wait to be in person, to have Louise show us around London, you know, maybe open house, and we can still do the virtual when we get back home, pick up on what we missed, but uh, we get to be together in person. And Ian, you'll be able to hopefully just drive down, right? It's not too far from where you're at. No, very close. Just just a couple of hundred miles. I want to close. Where we spent a lot of time the last two days, really, in part because Jeff McIntyre was here, is on the patient. So I take Jorn's point, and Louise, this all happens against the backdrop of the patient-focused drug development meeting two weeks ago, where a whole bunch of patient advocates looked at FDA and said, don't worry about our safety, get us a drug. We're, we're grown-ups. We understand the safety issues. We, we just need something that we can use and believe in. And Donna's comment walking away was that if they had that session two years ago, OCA would have been approved. No, she literally, we'll have a drug by now, but that had to be OCA because it couldn't have been Ella. And uh, Terry Milton last week was quoting Joe Turner as having texted that if he'd known then what he knows now, there's things he would have done differently. So on the one side, the science is getting a lot better. And on the other side, the patients are getting a lot louder. I, I can't think of a better combination to move this field forward. One combination to add to that. Yeah. 
that the naffled Nash driver is also not good for the planet. So actually, it can be sustainable. We can change it. So by targeting your patients with the forum, and if we get on the sustainability part as well, we've got three really good levers. We'll come back to this because there are a lot of things about that. Scott Friedman's comment that this is a disease of environmental factors because you don't get an epidemic in a body that's been fundamentally the same genes for thousands of years, particularly not when diets are changing as rapidly as they are in other factors in the environment. On this note, I, w- I would suggest Matthew Cave, who presented a phenomenal talk on environmental pollutants and exposures to come on to the show. I, I, t- I agree. Louise and I were talking one of the two previous nights, Manal, about both being gobsmacked by going to a meeting and hearing that talk that we didn't expect and just going, yikes, yikes being the technical term. Look, I want to thank everyone. It's been, it, Stephen, the re- representation of the globe was? It's just the environmental issue, right? The carbon footprint, all that. Well, it, it all comes together. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, November 24th, with our next episode in which we review recent cirrhosis studies and reconsider their possible role on the NIT pathway as we've discussed throughout this meeting. If you want to join the live audience Monday at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, email surflive, that's S-U-R-F-L-I-V-E, at surfingnash.com with a request, and I will send back a link to serve as your admission ticket. Hope you'll join us then either live or on the podcast. Until then, stay safe. See you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.